Welcome to Awaken to Sleep Education. Welcome to the party. So you are, sir, one of the few people on these Zoom webinars and meetings that when it says you, the meeting is now being recorded, you don't get quiet. You start yeah. making comments right out of the gate. <laughs> Turn it on. Everybody else is like, they just stop mid-sentence. They stop yeah. talking all together. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be, don't be scared of it. That's always been my motto. <laughs> all right. Well, we see people coming in. Uh, we got uh, Dr. Paul Saniuk. Wow, man. It's been a minute since I've seen you, buddy. Uh, looking good. Glad you're here. Uh, Kent Smith. Dang, Justin. You got a Canfield. We we got a whole Anastasia. All right, we got a whole bunch of folks tonight. Jen Moser, what's up? Uh, good to see you, Colton. All right, people. Uh, so most of you uh, have been here before, based on the registration list I saw earlier. Um, for those of you that haven't, the goal is fun education tonight. Uh, I'm your MC. Uh, my initials are actually MC. For Michael Cohen. That's not part of the webinar tonight. Uh, we got Dr. Justin Ellicofer here. Uh, he's going to drop some uh, some mad truth on us tonight, hopefully, talking about some mad failures. And I hope that's the end of the mad jokes, but it's probably not. Uh, you guys know what this looks like. Uh, we got CEs going on, uh, AGDCE. So that means you got to hang out for an hour if you want that credit. Uh, we'll post the link in the chat later. Uh, please hang out please be present. Uh, we would love to hear your questions on this topic. Uh, speaking of questions, there are two different buttons that you should become uh, in intimately familiar with. That just came out wrong. Uh, please hit the chat button. The chat is here for you to please message the panelists and the hosts. You've got myself, Dr. Ellicofer, and Brooke here. Uh, Dr. Ellicofer is going to be dropping some truth through the PowerPoint and his presentation. If you have tech issues, ask that in chat or respond to our questions there, please. Uh, if you have questions of your own that you brought tonight, please stick those in the other button, which is the Q&A. We will stay here until we answer all your questions. That's our goal tonight. So uh, without further ado, uh, you didn't log on to see me tonight and I'm totally okay with that. Uh, let me introduce Dr. Justin Ellicofer, hailing from Evanston, Indiana. The gentleman in the teal polo, weighing, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do your weight. I don't even know what that is. Uh, he's taller than me. He's better looking than me. Uh, he started off his dental career out of Evanston, Indiana, uh, doing a travel surgery rotation, IV sedation on top of general dentistry. Uh, he's going to have way more fun facts for you. Here's the cool thing. He started doing sleep in 2018. He's done over a thousand cases hands-on himself. So he knows what mad failure looks like, or what at least it sounds like from the patients. So I don't want to steal his thunder. Dr. Ellicofer, hit it up, man. Why don't you take it away? What's up, guys? Uh, thanks for, for coming. As Mike just said here, um, all the way from Indiana in Tampa, Florida now, having a hell of a time. Um, it's good to be in Florida uh, come down, uh, hang out with us. And uh, you can see here, uh, this is a, a picture of my wife and I, you know, we like to have a lot of fun. Uh, this is a Halloween costume contest that I think we did pretty well on. So uh, dress up as Slash there. Uh, Sarah, my wife, she's a dentist as well. Uh, she She's dressed up as a little groupie. Um, as Mike said, you know, I've been in Tampa uh, I've done a lot of sleep here and became a diplomate. And so really just here to, to talk to you guys a little bit about what I've learned um, in that journey and really what success and, and really what failure looks like overall. Please, you know, ask more questions. I'm going to give really, um, you know, 10,000 foot viewpoint of success and failures We've all been out there uh, doing these devices. We've all we all have our specific questions. This is going to be so much more fun um, and so much more have so much more value if you guys are asking questions and we can get those answered for you. 
Um, because if you're if you're asking the question, someone else is, is probably thinking of it as well. So um, as I say, let's let's rock and roll um, and let's get started. So, you know, today we're really going to talk about defining failure. And in order to do that, we have to we have to talk about what that is. What is mad failure? Uh, when we're in our general dental practices and we're we're prepping bridges and are doing dentures or replacing implants, each dentist is going to have a different definition of, of what quality is, what aspects are important. And so we're going to see that same thing when it comes to sleep apnea treatment. You know, failure could be a device breaking. Um, it could be just the patient not liking it or, or what their, their perception of failure is. So we'll define uh, what those could be as well as really just talk about what success is. Obviously, before we talk about failure, uh, let's talk about what success is and what that really looks like. We're going to talk about that with our physician friends. We're going to talk about that with the patients, and we're going to talk about it internally with ourselves. Um, so as I said, the good news is there's, there's honestly a lot of different ways to, to fail uh, when it comes to sleep apnea, but you get to define that. So um, you define your failures, you define your successes. Just know that no matter what we're talking about, there's always hope. Uh, that's the one thing that's great with dental sleep apnea treatment is that there's essentially an infinite number of possibilities of really things to try with these patients, um, whether it's different devices or different positions. Um, those are the easy ones, right? So if, if our heart is in the right place and, and we don't give up, um, there's, there's a lot of hope there. So let's first talk hey, about, go ahead. Dr. Justin, I, I know you're one slide, two slides in, but I have to, I have to ask you, that sounds like a hallmark answer. We get to define our own failures. Yeah. Give us your definition. Like you're as the dental sleep medicine practitioner, how do uh -huh. you actually define failure? And I know you'll get into patients later. Yeah. So I define failure as really, for me, I'm, I'm a people person. Um, I care about the physicians. I, I care about, um, you know, my dentistry. But for me, I'm a people person. Again, this is different for everybody. I'm a people person. So I care what the patient cares about. So in my consults, when I'm having these conversations with the patient, I want to define what failure is for them and what success looks like for them so that I can focus on uh, reaching those levels of success and, and preventing those levels of failure. Does that answer your question, Mike? Yes. Thank you, man. Uh, yeah. So, you know, when we look at failure, the first people that, that we hear about um, a lot saying that these devices don't work or that may be in your ear uh, the most are really the physicians. You know, physicians really see failure as you know, a, an inability of the device to reduce the AHI, um, and even so more than, than 50%. So these physicians are going to, uh, they're just going to say, hey, these devices don't work as well as, as the CPAP. Um, they're also going to look at these uh, SPO2 readings. Um, they're going to, they're just going to question a, a lot there. And so we have to be prepared for that. And we have to be able to really, um, Pre, to have those conversations with the physician uh, prior to treating their patients. And so we need to set the expectation of, of what a successful treatment is in dental sleep medicine um, with the physicians. You can see here in table two is a nice study done um, and it gives us general uh, guidelines or, or general values really that, that we can share with these physicians. We gotta set the expectation with the physician just as much as we need to set the expectation uh, with our patients. So um, when a physician says, you know, the AHI is not, not reduced, we need to be able to get to these values um, and, and share this that, you know, actually when it comes to mild patients, we're pretty darn effective um, at reducing the AHI. And, and when it comes to moderate, you know, why we don't always get them below five, we are seeing very large success in getting them below 10. Um, there's a lot of research out there that supports that if we can get these patients feeling better and below 10, 
their comorbidities and their uh, risk of, of early death um, is, is much reduced. Um, so see here, you can see severe. Um, we're going we're gonna to have these, these conversations with the physicians. And so the dentist, they're going to define failure in, in a little, little bit different way. So patients can be upset. Um, I think the biggest frustration for me, you know, starting was really getting these devices to fit properly. Um, are they seating um, fully? Is, are they occluding correctly? Um, and so really for me, that was, that was the biggest thing. Uh, we hear a lot about TMJ. A lot of our patients will come in and uh, question us about uh, their jaw joint. Is, it, you know, is this going to hurt the jaw joint? And, and us dentists are worried about that too. The last thing we want to do is do harm to our patients. Um, and so that can obviously be a, a big failure point. Um, patients, again, my, my most important thing is the patients. I don't, I don't feel better. Um, the patients say they don't feel like it's working. And so we really have to define what they want to feel better. And when we can define that, we can, we can really set an expectation of, yeah, you know, I can, I can get this, this better for you. Um, the number one thing that, that I see as far as, um, you know, promising or, or setting expectation is, is really snoring. Um, snoring is one of those symptoms that uh, for, for myself is, is pretty easy to eliminate. So I get pretty hefty on the promises there, but we have to understand that we don't, we don't, as we're in the, you know, we got to, as our medical professional here treating a medical condition, you know, there's really not a lot we can guarantee. Um, I try to, to compare it to going to the ER, right? You had a family member, they just came into the ER um, and we're trying to stabilize that patient. When it comes to sleep apnea treatment, the first thing that we're trying to do as dentists is really stabilize their airway. And so the ER physician and the hospital is never going to come out to the waiting room and promise you that everything's going to be okay and we're going to get this fixed. They are going to promise you that they're going to do everything they can to help your family member. And so we should be doing the same thing. We're going to do everything we can. We really need to get this airway stabilized. Um, and then we'll move on uh, from, from that, that point. So, you know, again, big picture stuff. Man, we could talk about failure for so long. Uh, there's a ton of different ways to fail. What you think is failure may not necessarily be failure in the other dentist's eye. Um, so first off, really understand what, what you think failure is, um, and then we can work from there. When it comes to, to patients' perception of failure, again, this is, this is where I kind of hone in and spend a lot of my time. Um, patients can see failure as um, hurting, right? I always let the patient know that some discomfort is normal, right? You're going to have tooth pain. You could have, you know, my informed consent says that you could have tooth pain, jaw pain, or muscle pain. We're putting your jaw, we're stabilizing your jaw in a position that is different from your current position. It's going to be a downward and a forward position. Just like when you go to the gym and work out, you're going to have some sort of soreness um, or, or possibly pain. I do reassure them that it is not normal for that to be a long-term event. Um, I use the word transient. Hey, that pain, any sort of soreness um, to sensitivity is transient. Should only last a couple of days. Um, if it does, if it lasts longer than a couple of days or even a week, and it's not manageable, definitely give us a call. We want to stay in front of that, uh, but we don't. We don't expect not to have anything. Um, I do a lot of implants. I do a lot of surgeries as well. I don't send those patients home and say, hey, you're not going to feel a thing tomorrow. No, I say peak pain is 24 to 48 hours. Expect some soreness. If there's anything you can't handle, give us a call. And so uh, when they come back and, and they say, well, doc, you know, I did everything you did. I did have some soreness, but this device just isn't working. I, I just don't feel um, better. You know, there's really some things that, that we really need to talk about first. One, are, are they wearing the appliance? 
Um, if it's comfortable, they should. They should be wearing that appliance. Um, but ask them. Really, really grill them. It's easy to say you floss. It's easy to say you, um, you know, work out. And it's easy to say that you're wearing these, these appliances. So um, if they're not feeling better, are their bed partners feeling better? Um, have they noticed any improvement? You know, some of our patients don't want to feel better. Um, and they don't, they don't want to be wrong. Maybe they're not in our chair for the right reasons. Um, and they don't want to um, admit that, hey, yeah, maybe this thing is working. Maybe my, my wife was right. I'm probably guilty of that just as much um, as the next guy. So uh, what, other, what other sleep habits do they have? You know, a patient comes in and say, doc, I'm, you know, I've been wearing this thing. And uh, well, when do you go to bed? Well, I go to, mid I go to bed at midnight. Okay. That sounds a little late, but that's okay. So that's some people. Um, oh, but I get up at 5 a.m. You know, I have a patient that um, he's in IT and he, he goes to bed. He goes to bed later than midnight. He goes to bed at like one to two o'clock in the morning. And he says he has to get up for work at five o'clock. Um, no matter what device we have in those, those patients, it's just, they're just not going to feel better. Right. Um, the good news is they, they can't have much sleep apnea and they're not sleeping that long. Um, <clears throat> and so ask them what, what sleep habits they have. A great resource, uh, to have in, in your back, uh, pocket is a sleep hygiene, uh, some sort of sleep hygiene pam pamphlet. Um, we can, we can get you some of those. There's a lot of them online. You know, are you going to bed at the at the right time? Are you withdrawing from caffeine at the right times of the day? All sorts of little things there that um, can can really make a big impact on how well you sleep um, overall. Also, you want to revisit your initial notes, um, and ninety percent of the time, there there is something positive um, that has probably come about with this device and my interaction. So really trying to find that nugget, uh, keep the patient positive, keeping the patient engaged um, is going to be super, super important. And, and revisiting your notes on this is what we're here to accomplish. Um, and this is what we have accomplished. So keeping that positive. My favorite type of patient, I honestly feel I can't fail, is a patient that's tried CPAP. Hands down, easily my favorite patient. Uh, they come in, the, the main reason being that if, if they perceive failure, if their physician perceives failure, or I'm not happy with the result, they failed CPAP. So the, there's less onus on me. Um, you know, they have to own that this is a condition of their body and that we're doing all we can, but there's, there's certain limitations. And so when they come in and, and they've tried CPAP, uh, it's a hard conversation, right? Uh, I tell patients that 30% of my patients, you know, may not be happy with, with the effect overall. And, um, you know, those are, that's, those are 30% of really hard conversations. But when they've tried CPAP and it's failed too, you know, we did all we could. We tried CPAP. It didn't work. We tried this. It didn't work have a, a, a next step. Um, and that next step is, is a referral, you know, either to near nose and throat um, or maybe a doctor to talk about other, other types of therapies overall. So we've talked about uh, failure. Again, you guys, you know, write in the chat box, you know, what you would consider failure. failure. Um, and, and I'll try to speak to some of those. And Mike, you can give me um, some ideas and um, you know, our, our patient's perception of failure and, and how I might uh, respond to, to those. So one of the easiest is really what is um, success. A lot of uh, the AADSM in particular defines set success as 50% improvement with an AHI. Ideally, we want that AHI below 10 and a 50% reduction. But just like we can't come together as a cohort and define failure, we really haven't come together and defined success. I mean, you can see that all the way back in 2016, the Journal of Dental Sleep Medicine was saying the successful treatment 
of OSA should, should not necessarily be a number, whether it be five or 10. Um, it should be a combination of outcomes and ongoing assessment. Are we getting the patient better? Um, hopefully, we can move beyond that number and work towards a more patient-centered and a patient-relevant definition of success. And so that goes back um, that goes back to what I believe is, you know, let's focus on the number. Absolutely focus on the number, right? We know the higher the number, the more likely, the more at risk these patients are for diabetes, heart attack, stroke, cardiovascular disease. Um, we know, we know that that's correlated. So we can't just throw it out the, the window for sure. But we really do got to continue to focus and continue to put emphasis on with our patients and with our physicians that this is more than just a number um, and uh, talk about how they feel. We can look at all sorts of different things like, you know, effectiveness equation, you know, hypoxic burden. There's all sorts of things out there that a lot of different dentists and a lot of different organizations are talking about. And it's going to be exciting to see where they where they end up. Yeah, uh, Justin, I got I got to hop in here because uh, you asked for it, and uh, we had some folks respond in the chat. But Perfect. Before I hop into that, I just want to bring something out, you guys, that he said, kind of in between the lines a few times here. Your patient's perception of success is going to be based on how they feel. The AADSM is defining success in treatment based on numerical values from sleep tests. And those two things aren't always aligned. I mean, I don't, you, we can't raise hands here, but how many of you have, uh, <laughs> you've had, I think, we can, I think we can wave, can't we? Can we? Oh yeah, we can wave. Uh, how many, <laughs> how many of you guys have had patients that they come back after, you know, you initially, you give them the initial delivery, they come back three, four weeks later and they're like, oh my gosh, you saved my life. You're like, yeah, we got to test you. They're like, well, you don't trust me. You're like, no. And then when you mm -hmm. test them, they still got massive amounts of apnea they feel better but you know that's the underlying thing here got yeah bunch of thumbs up this is going to happen so justin what you're hitting on is this is the underlying part of patient communication which is crucial because how they feel is what's going to define their perception of success um all right let's let's get into everybody else's uh comments here because you asked for them so yeah, Top patient try. failures or complaints. Can you see them? Um, in our chat. Yeah. Uh, Brian said patient can't sleep with the appliance. Okay. Why can't they sleep with the appliance? I mean, that's uh what is it? Is it too thick? Is it is it gagging them? Um there's a there's a reason they can't they can't wear that. And there's a lot of different, I mean, without getting into the weeds, there's just a ton of different devices out there. Um, and there's a ton of different modifications that I can make to a device um, to get that that feeling better. Um, you know, without getting into the weeds, um, yep. that's what I would say. You know, you got to ask these these patients lots of questions. You know, what is it? Keep delving down into what exactly it is. These devices are so comfortable and and thin now. Um, there's just there's not a good good reason to say I just can't wear it. I yeah. don't think, but I can usually figure that out. It takes some conversation. Yep. So Andy said mobile teeth. Uh, Andy, I'm assuming that doesn't mean you've created mobile teeth with your appliance. They already yeah. had some perio. Dr. Justin, you want to hit that? Yeah. Um, again, so mobile teeth, I would ask for, I'm not going to keep saying this, but I'd ask for a little bit more information. Um, I'm a, a big fan if you do have... I, it sounds, I would say the opposite. Maybe you um, induced um, some mobile teeth. Uh, I let patients know that that's in our informed consent, um, especially when they have perio. Uh, I, I use the example a lot that your teeth are a fence post. Your teeth are going to be supporting um, your jaw and stabilizing your jaw. And there's going to be force on them that um, hasn't been there before. And it's, it's okay um, if we do get some mobility, we absolutely want to track that. Um, we don't want it, you know, we will come to a point where we maybe have to withdraw treatment. 
I can't think of a patient that I've ever been like, don't wear your device, your teeth are too mobile. Um, what I have done in the past is, is splinted the teeth together um, with like a lingual retainer. It's usually those mandibular anterior teeth. Um, it's usually perio-involved teeth. So having that conversation with the patient at the very start and saying, hey, there's some bone loss around these teeth. You know, we got a, we got a bunch of fence posts with half a dirt on them and they're going to move around <laughs> when we start putting for putting some uh, force on them there. So for us city kids, uh, fence posts and dirts isn't the perfect analogy, but I'm sure you got something else in your arsenal. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's 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 what I use. People get it, I so, think. So um, got another they, one here for you. Yeah. Uh, hey, Kent, how are you doing, buddy? Yeah, get, get I his. Go get my, I need to go get my cowboy hat. Follow me on Instagram, Tampa Dental Cowboy. I'm uh, <laughs> doing a lot of cool stuff, by the way. I think Ken will appreciate that. Um, when a dentist convinces them that a change in their bite, um, is not worth breathing during sleep, you know, uh, we see this a lot too, right? I mean, pick your poison. What do you want here? We can only do so much with our tools. Um, you know, the nice thing about being a general dental provider like myself, um, and not being in a sleep focused practice is we also do Invisalign. Um, so we can talk about that, talk about getting those teeth in a, in a more correct position that now, as we, if we move the teeth into that correct bite and we get them in appliance now, the forces are, are going to be different. So the, the likelihood of that bite changing again, um, is going to be a lot less mm -hmm. patients are going to be a lot more observant of that. And so they're going to use their AM repositioners that we use to help realign those bites. Um, and all that as well. We're getting a lot of questions. Go ahead, Mike, yep. pick another one. Yeah. Uh, side sleeping and pain with lateral fins or herps. Yeah. Uh, Adjustments or a, appliance change? Pick a device that doesn't have lateral fins or herps, right? Um, there's, there's, they're out there. Um, and so super easy. Um, okay. Pick, pick one that doesn't. Yep. Uh, Stan, uh, he made a my tap at the end of uh, twenty uh, January twenty one. Wife was using AMA liner intermittently two months ago. She knows she couldn't chew on her back teeth. Yeah, um, has to chew on her anteriors. When she closes, she only contacts the linguals, the maxillary anteriors. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so posterior open bite. I mean, this is the thing that we run into um, again. Setting the expectation. This is in our. Um, this is in our informed consent. I talk about um, people with really what I would consider tight bites um, versus, you know, a lot of overjet or a lot of overlap. Um, there are certain subset of patients that are going to be more predisposed to um, changes in bite. I tell a patient, my goal is, is to reposition your jaw in the morning. We're going to hold your jaw out at nighttime so that you can breathe. But in the morning, it's going to be important to reposition. I need you to see it. I need you to feel it. And I need you to hear it. I want you biting down on that. And I want you to verify if you verify that every day, it's very um, unlikely that we have an issue, but I will tell you up front: the further we have to hold your jaw out, the more likely we are to have issues and complications. The stronger our mandibular advancement devices are drugs. The stronger the drug is, the more titration, the more forward we have to push the jaw, the more likely we are to have these issues, tooth mobility, bite changes. So that's going to be important in our conversations as we're adjusting this on how they feel and what values we're getting on that titration. When is it, when is it, when is it enough to send them back for a follow-up sleep mm -hmm. study? I typically lean to sending them off as soon as I can. I just want to, you know, I want to get them back to their physician and get them tested because who mm -hmm. knows, everybody might be happy at that position and we're going to have less issues, less complications um, with least advancement. Yeah. And just to, just to drive that one home a little bit, I mean, to Kent's pointed question here and also Dr. Villag's question about open by open posterior or posterior open bite. At the end of the day, if it is between chewing on your back teeth and the patient's not complaining and breathing, yep. 
I mean, we got to put things in, in, in order. In perspective. Um, yeah. Good questions, you guys. Uh, but again, one. we're dentists. I mean, we can't just say we don't care about the bite because that's all we talk about in my general practice, right? They come in, new yeah. patient comes in. We're talking about Invisalign. We're talking about occlusion. We're talking about the importance of wear on the teeth. So, you know, we can't just completely go away from that in, in my my line. Yep. Yeah. So last one, um, maybe give us uh, the question from David. What's your favorite appliance to use or with the least complaints? i.e. Uh -huh. some TMJ symptoms. So, I mean, you've, you've done a few, yep. a, a lot, um, yeah. types of patients. Cause I know it, it, it is going to be patient dependent. Uh -huh. So what I found is no matter what device you use, um, your TMJ symptoms will be lessened if you start at a bite that is relatively equivalent to their maximum max, uh, maximum intercuspation or their centric occlusion, call it what you want. Um, but when we have a patient bite down and we measure their overjet, if you're not starting that patient out in front of that position, I find that we really don't, I don't have a lot of TMJ symptoms, particularly with one device, to be quite honest. Um, you know, my favorite appliance we use, I think the worst thing you can do um, as a, a sleep doctor is, is pick one appliance, you know, one, one size doesn't fit all here. Um, I give patients a lot of onus on the appliance type. Um, I use, you know, I use Prosomnus, I use Somnomed, I use Serena. Those are definitely my top three that I see in those patients. Um, getting back to lateral fins, the Serena, um, doesn't have side fins at all. Um, Somnomed, you know, makes a really nice, uh, herps and dorsal. And then Prosomnus is just a, a very, I, very sexy device, easy to, easy to show a patient and they get excited and it doesn't look obtrusive. Yeah. Um, so I just got my new Evo two weeks ago and I was, it's been a minute since I've had an appliance, uh, cause I've been on a apnea journey for a long time. We, that's not why people are here, but anyway, uh -huh. it was it was slick. Yeah. Super minimal dialed in. Anyway, go ahead, man. I, we, we yeah. Great questions. Y'all keep, keep them coming in, yeah. in the Q and a or throw them in the chat. We'll figure it out. Yeah. It's more fun to talk about it. Um, than to, you know, hear some, some slides, but getting back to it, you know, starting the case off, right. Some of the best things that you can do in your consult is under promise and over deliver. When I talk to my patients, the number one thing, I've, I've already said it, but I'm going to re-say it again. I let them know that it is normal to have some sort of tooth sensitivity, muscle soreness, or jaw soreness. If that happens, please don't call me and freak out. Um, it's expected. We're holding your jaw. We're pulling on your muscles in a different movement than we ever have before. It's normal. I want it to go away. I want it to be manageable. If it's not manageable, give me a call. I'm I'm here for you. We'll figure it out. Typically, if something, if there is jaw soreness, especially jaw joint, um, it could either be clenching um, or likely the device is isn't hitting evenly on both sides. So I have that patient come in, you know, a week or so. If they're calling me a week later and say, "Doc, this thing is still sore," there's probably something that I missed at the delivery. I mean, I try not to miss too many things, um, but I probably miss something at the delivery. So number one, start your case off right um, and set that expectation with the patient. Hey, it's likely we're going to the gym. This is our first day going to the gym. It's likely that you wake up tomorrow and have some sort of sensation. Um, I don't say discomfort or pain. Um, you will have some sort of sensation there. Also, I let them know that this device is not perfect. When it comes to treatment, there's CPAP, there's dental device, neither of them are 100%. I tell the patient there is 70% chance of all my patients, 70% chance that all three of us will be happy at the end of this. Your physician will be happy, I'll be happy, and you'll be happy. And you'll, you'll want to use this as just a lifelong um, treatment for you. There's an 80% that probably two or three of us or two, one to two of us will be happy. Um, I really say two, 
And then there's about a 90% chance one of us will be happy. Either I'll be happy um, because I feel like I did everything I could, um, or maybe we got the we got every all the parameters um, down to where I to where I wanted. Maybe the physician will be happy with the AHI, but the patient won't be happy with the symptom improvement. Uh, maybe I just don't like the fit of the device. Maybe the patient's more open um, and just looks uncomfortable. Um, so again, 70, I tell my patients in their consult, 70% of the time, everybody's going to be happy. 80%, two people, 90%, one of us will be happy. I also tell them that as your apnea gets worse, you know, we're reviewing these sleep studies with the patients. As your apnea gets worse and as your BMI, I don't call them obese or anything, um, they tend to, to know what I'm saying. Uh, I say, as your apnea is higher and as your BMI is higher, there's less likelihood that this device will, will, will work for you. Um, and so we got to be cognizant of that. That'll lead us into some other, um, other conversations about weight management and, and, um, uh, life, life cycle. Um, what's the word I'm trying to find? Can't find it. So we're going to move on. Uh, but explaining that, you know, this is a, a collaborative approach and it, it's just not as simple and cut and dry um, as as we may. So, again, we uh, we likely will have some sort of sensation or feelings uh, for a couple of days that that's transient. And then the likelihood of success, um, you know, 70 percent. And what is that? You know, define success. You know, my goal here. You know, you just told me you want to quit snoring and you want your blood pressure under control. Perfect. I expect that we should get some snoring um, and I expect that we decrease your AHI um, by half. Will we get your blood pressure under control? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, we just really won't know until, until we see that. So describing the process that this is not something that is achieved overnight, I can't give you this device and you'd be better the next day. Um, and so. That's that's really the best way to start it is hitting that stuff right in the for, forward. And, and um, when you guys are out there doing crowds, by the way, you know, is anybody saying, hey, I know I can guarantee you you're not going to need a bite adjustment. Um, I certainly don't. Uh, maybe there's some better dentists out there, but um, who's out there guaranteeing that their implants are going to last a lifetime? Um, that's not me. So, you know, we we got to got to start the case off. Under promise, over deliver, do everything you can. And uh, I, I would sum it up, you guys, and say that anything like what Dr. Justin is talking about, anything that you educate the patients on in the beginning is just education. Anything you tell them about after the fact, after it's occurring, they perceive as excuses. Right. Education versus excuses. Um Justin, question for you, because there's a couple versions of this, so I'm going to sum it up because you started talking about referring out and collaborating with physician colleagues, i.e. weight management, that kind of thing. Uh -huh. At what point do you in inject that, not the referral, but at what point do you inject that part of the conversation with the patient? Meaning, what at what point do you talk to them about the possibility of collaborating with other physicians? as a holistic care plan instead of just the appliance? So I usually do that at my, my consult appointments. Um, a lot of us are dentists in our, our regular practice, so we're screening these patients. Um, so that's when I introduce it. Um, hey, you know, patient, um, you know, your BMI is, is X. Um, they usually share that that's something that they want to take control of. Um, and there's physicians out there that are double boarded um, in, in different, um, de not departments, but um, sections or whatever the heck the word is. Specialties. Thanks, man. <laughs> I couldn't live without you, Mike. Um, different specialties. So, you know, when the patients are having sinus issues, obviously we want to work with ear, nose and throats that do sleep testing um, that treat this. Um, if they have COPD, um, you know, we may want to work with a pulmonologist. If they have um, weight issues, you know, we may send them to someone. And I, the patients get excited. I say, hey, you know, I got this great idea. You know, I have a, a physician that does X and X, X and Y. Um, you can you talk about both of those, and we can kind of double dip. And you know, really, only spend one copay. 
um, they can do the the sleep test and you know you, you can also talk about you know getting control of this so yep. um, that's when I interject it is really at that that first a- appointment and like I said a lot of us dentists um, who are screening for it that's the perfect time to say hey I see it a couple of different problems here man you know your blood pressure was 140 over uh, 90 I had a, a uh, I had a patient the other day we were doing wisdom teeth on and um, she had tachycardia. I mean, her, we hooked her up before we gave her anything. Her heart rate was a hundred and we were like, what are you, you know, what's going on? Well, you know, man, my regular physician said this and that, well, you know, let's get you to, let's get you to a cardiologist that also can help us with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that's, that's a really great benefit for the patients. Awesome, man. Cool. Um, patients need to take ownership, right? The, the worst patients are the ones that that don't want to be there. Um, it's those are really easy cases to fail, right? The the patient um, doesn't think they have a problem. They're just there because their physician told them they have sleep apnea. Um, they're in your chair um, again. The being general dentist, um, the patient that you know hits all of your screener questions. Um, you know, Hey patient, you're snoring, you have high blood pressure, your airway looks a little crowded. Um, and you know, they just don't care. Um, they just want to kick the can down the road. I feel it's, you know, it's our job to have the conversation, but the patient really has to take onus and take ownership, whether they have been diagnosed with it yet, or possibly may have it. They need to understand that the risk factors and how they correlate. Patients, you need to verify compliance. Again, you know, there's there's no good way other than asking them. You you'll kind of know. Um, again, the patients who don't take ownership really don't comply um, as well. And you know, did they follow your instructions? Um, this is, you know, di- did they? This really gets to more advancements and and um, patients being uncomfortable. So, you know, I've had patients before they call me and they say, doc, you know, this is wrecking my jaw. What's, you know, what did you do? And I say, well, come back in. Um, And they didn't follow our adjustment protocol. You know, they have it out. Well, you know, the magic answer you see most probably 30% of the time is, oh, I I thought we just should get out as far as we can go. And that was better. Um, So they, they likely didn't follow your instructions, whether it's an adjustment instruction, um, whether it's doing that AM aligner, right? Bite always comes up, um, another big thing. So um, take care of themselves. We've already touched on that. So don't really want to touch more on that, but, you know, sleep hygiene, um, exercise, you know, the more exercise we have, the more energy we have, the better we sleep. Um, it's, it's simple things that are not simple to do uh, when it comes to, to living life. You know, I'm trying to exercise and, and get healthier and you know, trying to balance practice and, and, um, kids and all that other stuff. And have a baby and a baby <laughs> coming in May. So, um, that'll, that'll be fun. So, um, where is, so, uh, coming up really on the last slide at the end of the day, you know, we, uh, you know, we put on a, a level up course kind of intro to sleep and, um, last, I think it was a week ago, two weeks, whenever we were doing that, um, you know, it's hard doing something new is, is hard. Um, you know, I, I recently purchased a practice and I'm, I'm placing a lot more implants and doing a lot more surgeries, um, than I ever have. And getting back in there is, is sometimes scary. Um, and I get it but we got to be confident. You know, these devices, they, they stabilize the jaw. Um, I would tell anybody that all we're doing is we're stabilizing the jaw. Um, I tell patients I have never, um, cause this is true. I have never caused any sort of permanent, uh, temporal mandibular joint dysfunction in any patient before. Um, these, these devices can be withdrawn. Treatment can be withdrawn. And 99% of the time, things uh, will resolve just on doing that. It may not go away day day one uh, by any means, but they usually resolve on their own. And I also tell 
you know, our, our dentist friends that who who's out there right now that gets concerned when they give a patient a night guard. I mean, I've seen some of these acrylic night guards, um, you know, they're at least three millimeters thick on the occlusal. Um, I never hear dentists saying, oh man, I gave this patient a night guard and I'm just really concerned about their jaw joint. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, we tend to help the jaw joint uh, more than hinder it. Uh, we help protect it. Uh, we, we can add modifications to our appliances to decrease muscle activation. Uh, there's lots of, of different things that we can do to actually help the jaw joint. So I tell my patients, hey, you're going to read my informed consent. I think there was a dentist out there somewhere that, you know, didn't know what he's doing. I don't know what happened, but somehow it made it in my informed consent. And just like those pharmaceutical companies say you can die, mine's going to say that you can have some jaw joint issues. How are we going to prevent that? We're going to start you back in a comfortable in a comfortable position, and we're going to adjust you slowly over time so that it's comfortable. And that's how we're going to prevent that from happening. If we have any issues, we'll withdraw treatment um, and we'll reevaluate. Be their advocate. Again, don't give up on these patients. Um, that's harder to do with some patients than others. There is, we, we do not have a good system to, to look at a patient and say, this is your protrusion. Um, this, is, this is the protrusion and this is what's gonna be the maximum effectiveness position. We'll get you there, we'll send you back. And what's done is done. Um, we have to try as many positions as the patient will allow. I can usually outlast my patients. Um, I wanna fight for them. I wanna be an advocate. And if you do that, patients will see that. Um, so even if it doesn't work, if I've, if I've studied them at five different positions and I've sent them back to their physician two different times and we have seven different sleep study tests, they're probably pretty exhausted at the process at that time. And they'll understand that, hey, you know, doctor's done all he can do. My body's just not reacting the way that we want it to. We can open these patients up, right? I always start off with a minimum um, occlusal space because that's more comfortable. Again, we have less issues. I try to start them back um, at the position that their jaw is at, um, at awake. And then if, if I really want to get creative, I can start adding incremental opening to that, see if we're getting any changes there. And so, you know, sometimes most of these patients are finished within two months. Have I had patients that are four or five months? Absolutely. Um, and so just be their advocate and, and do the best you can. If your heart's in the right spot, you really. All right. <laughs> this is one of those moments with uh, Dr. Elkover's frozen. I think we got an internet thing going on here. Um, all right, everybody. So uh, I'm, I'll hop in here. Hopefully that uh, internet speed figures itself out there. Um, I love what he talked about with relation to the patient's perspective tonight. And uh, I mean, I, you know, we're, we're coaches here. We want to have the patient's best interest in mind always and give you all the verbiage, the tactics to actually communicate that to them. Uh, he, he was dropping a lot about how they feel. Uh, one thing that uh, he didn't uh, quite articulate, but started saying in between the lines, he's always going for maximum medical improvement with the minimum titration possible. So the idea is getting the patient comfortable, not making sure you got that midline in line, <laughs> making sure that you're not starting them at a for, you know super forward position that's uncomfortable, that kind of thing. Um, so uh, anyhow, um, we got some questions here. Uh, if you guys have questions still, please throw them in. Uh, I'm sure he's going to hop back on here uh, as soon as his uh, internet will allow him to. Um, but... Um, Yep, he's coming back. I just got a text from him. <laughs> so, uh, Simi Silver, I see that you hopped in the chat and you've got a presentation prepared about screening for your local community. High five. 
good job on that. Um, Juanita, you had said that um, the patient's wife, the husband or and or wife, their chief complaint is that they still snore after therapy. Uh, Dr. Justin was talking about that earlier about setting patients' expectations, working on their primary concern, and then uh, and then making sure that you're setting those expectations properly. You're going to attack that thing, but you may not resolve it completely. Am I back? What the you're... hell happened? <laughs> you're back. Man. I thought right. it was my internet, man. Yeah. I, well, I think it was mine for sure. I apologize. Um, where was I? I left off. I was talking about chat GDP. Did I get that out? Nope. <laughs> oh, shit. did not get that part out. Yeah. Where did I leave off? Anything? You were... Uh, I hopped in on um, just communicating there. I, you know what? I forgot, man. I said a whole bunch of stuff while you were gone. And yeah. I didn't even mock you with my, my one opportunity here. I gotcha. Um, I, you know, be that, be the patient's advocate. I shared that, right? Yep. So be the patient's advocate, try as many positions as that patient will allow, um, you know, do as much testing as, as they, they like. And, um, you know, you really can't go wrong. You know, at the end of the day, we just, we don't have a system yet that tells us exactly what position to hold these patients at. Um, I tried to ask chat GDP um, and it said it was not allowed to give me medical device. So I feel like, you know, there's definitely not an answer. Um, yeah. There is not a magic solution out there. So, um, and then, you know, ask an expert was in the slide. So there's a ton of people out there that's doing a lot of these. Um, they're usually pretty friendly, pretty helpful. Obviously, there's experts like you guys and, uh, you know, you guys can get anybody in, in the right direction um, to help help with any of these specific questions that, that people are asking for sure. David wants to know if he's going to get your personal cell phone. I'm just kidding. Uh, email oh, address. Yeah. Dr. Justin, you comfortable uh, with us doing that? You want to put it in the chat? I am. I'll put it. I'll put it right now. Please go to my website. Help my SEO. That would be a big help. Um, <laughs> you know, personally. So that's all I ask. Um, I always host and panelist. So it's D R E. So it's like Doctor E at Dentist Tampa dot com. Love I don't it. know if I don't know if everybody can see that. I yeah. Think so so yeah, they can. It's in the chat. Um, you oh. know. So D-R-E, so it's like Dr. E at DentistTampa.com. Wait, so uh, Dre? Dre. Like Dr. Dre? I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm now, now I'm giving you a new outfit for Halloween yeah. this year. Um, let, let's get into some questions. Um, yeah. So you talked a lot about patient perception uh -huh. and their perception of failure. Can you please, I, there's a couple here. Can you please speak to what physicians perceive as failure or conversations? If you want to highlight one, what, on the physician side, what's perceived mm -hmm. as a failure for an appliance? Yeah. You know, all your physicians, just like your dentist, um, are, are really going to differ. Uh, so you need to ask your physicians what that, that looks like for them um, when it comes Ask that question again, Mike, when it comes to patient subjective, what are physicians considering failure? No, just, I mean, you have a lot of communication with patients, but you've also, you've had the unique opportunity to have a lot of communication with the MD side. Right. Um, so when you talk to them, their perception is different. What do they perceive as failure with the appliance or how have those oh. conversations gone? Yeah, I mean, 90% of them, a large majority of them um, look at strictly AHI reduction um, and SpO2 readings. I mean, they're, they're clinicians. You know, you go to your primary care doctor, you get blood work done. And what is it? It gives you a value and it gives you a normal range and a, not, and a high and a low. Yep. Um, that's how they perceive these patients. Um, you know, you'll send them back with an AHI of an 11. And, you know, that that's not low enough for them. And some dentists feel that way, too. So um, a large majority of them. And I I don't I try to let them know that I think it's OK that they feel that way. But I do want them to know that there's another piece to it. 
Because at the end of the day, they're liable for these patients' care. So I get it. You know, if I went to the doctor and my thyroid levels were out of control um, and they gave me medication and it only went down halfway, um, you know, they, they could in some way might be, maybe be liable with that, which, you know, requires an organizational change on defining the success of this. Um, yep. So it gets yep. into the weeds there. But most most physicians, unless they really get it, um, unless they really truly get it, we'll only look at that number. And um, some of them aren't happy with below 10. Um, You know, it's got to be in that normal range, just like your blood values of everything else. Yep. Uh, So another question, Bonnie asked, is there a recording of the webinar? Yes, absolutely. After we conclude it tonight, you guys know that we put that up uh, by tomorrow on our website. So you guys will have access to the recording for that. Uh, For $4.99. No, <laughs> I just didn't. Wait, do I have that kind of Bastard. voice? I mean, what are, what are you saying here, man? Come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Little, no, you guys. A that's asterisk behind yeah. you or something. The asterisk behind that is uh, <laughs> you only get CEs when you attend this live because it's a live virtual attended webinar CE credit. So you can't get the CEs if you watch the recording, but we do put it on the website. You can also listen to it uh, through Spotify uh, if you want to just listen to it on your way to work, that kind of thing. Uh, okay. So next thing, um, wow. That was just like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, What's another question? Stopped. No, other, no other questions out there. Um, there was one earlier. Britain oh, said I did a great job. So I think that's important to say, um, you know, <laughs> it's not really a question, more of a statement, but I appreciate that. Britain, Britain, if I'm saying that right, Brenton. Bonnie Renton, B. Renton. Yes, thank you, Bonnie, for the kind words. You actually got a bunch of uh, thumbs ups and hearts. So uh, mm. I think people would like to hear from you more. Um, Uh-oh. I don't know, you guys. Don't don't inflate his ego here. I'm just kidding. Uh, so listen, uh, we are at our six o'clock hour. If you have questions, please stick them in the chat or the Q&A. If you don't, we're happy to... Uh, to let you go around the six o'clock hour. Brooke, go ahead. Boom. There we go. Uh, she just she just put the CE link in there. Um, so if you click on the link for the CE, it will take you to a quiz that is going to take you 47 minutes. I'm just kidding. 47 seconds to complete. Uh, there's a couple of check boxes. If you all would like more information about any of those topics that are on there, Make sure to check those boxes and we'll send that to you. If it's the patient brochures, if it's screening materials, whatever it is, uh, like I said earlier, our desire here is to serve you as our market, as our industry. We want to not be islands, guys and gals. Please don't be an island. If you got questions, throw them our way, throw them Dr. Justin's way. We're here to help you. uh, So you can go out and do more good work helping your folks. Dr. E. Dre, Dr. Dre, um, that's seriously going to happen, man. Any parting words for these kind folks that have given us an hour of their time? Yeah, uh, you know, it's hard when we have so many people probably at so many different um, spots in their, you know, dental sleep journey. Um, Keep keep pushing yourself. um, Keep having more conversations with these patients um, keep delivering more devices and, you know, there's no matter what it is in dentistry we're doing, whether it's a new procedure or a new sleep device, um, keep pushing the limit and, you know, keep, keep agreeing to, to attempt to help and have your heart in the right spot and help as many patients as you can. Yeah. 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 Completely agree. And, uh, push through the discomfort folks. Cause mm-hmm. it happens to all of us. Doesn't matter how long you've been doing it or short you've been yep. doing it. The prize on the other side is you are absolutely impacting somebody's life for real. So right. thanks for what you don't do. Don't push through the discomfort of your patients. <laughs> oh, thank clear. you for the clarity. Um, you know, uh, it's okay for you to be nervous. Um, that's normal. I think nervousness keeps you on your toes, but if your patient's uncomfortable, don't push through that. Yep. <laughs> yep. And uh, last uh, thing, if you guys do want more of Dr. Alec Hofer, uh, he's going to be doing our level up course on the 21st. Love to see you there. Other than that, have a great night, everybody. We appreciate you. 
See you guys. Thank you for joining us on this webinar. If you'd like more information on dental sleep medicine education, coaching, or home sleep testing services, please feel free to reach out to us at awakentosleep.com forward slash edu or at info at awaken number two sleep.com. Thank you and have a great day.